Welcome to Tiber's Watchcast, an audio companion to the Substack movie newsletter Tiber's Watchlist at tiberswatchlist.substack.com. I'm a film critic and author with four decades of experience, and the Watchcast is an excuse to invite friends and colleagues over to talk about movies and genres and TV shows and music and weird pop culture stuff. Today, my guest is my old Boston Globe colleague and dear friend, Meredith Goldstein. Thank you for having me right around Valentine's Day, which is the Super Bowl for advice columnists. That's true. As we say, actually, you know, it's our big day of the year, despite it not really being a holiday, in my opinion. Could you tell people what you do? Well, so I'm the advice columnist at the Boston Globe, and it's now a 13-year-old advice column, and I also host a, a podcast. That's almost um, legal. It is almost, it's getting there, it's getting there, I almost can drive, but... People write in every day, and it's very much a Ann Landers-inspired Q&A. But, of course, now we have a comment section, so lots of people weigh in. But, you know, it has – my background is in journalism and reporting, so I also think a lot about trends and how people date and why people break up. And as you can imagine, the last two years have been really weird with letters about people stuck with their spouses or not having spouses or trying to figure out how to have Zoom dates. And yeah, it's been a really weird time and very educational. Mm. Uh, one of the things that um, Meredith and I have bonded uh, over, over, over the years, I mean, uh, you know, I've worked at the Globe for 20 years. And for much of that time, you and I have talked a lot about romantic comedies. Romantic comedies. And like, and, and also you have a real understanding of it's so what a what an incredible on-demand service to be friends with a film critic who can come back and say you'll like this one you won't like this one right because like I feel like you can be a critic who understands what you like but it's like I felt like I had my own personal concierge of I still do of of will this rom-com or will this romance because some of the roms I like are not coms how will it sit with you and Ty knows that I have a special interest in romance that seems magical. Right. So, you know, for instance, when Palm Springs, when I don't remember what festival you saw that at, but you texted me, this this one's for you. And yeah. like, I was like, all right, I'm ready. Right. And I didn't even know the concept of it, but I, I yeah, I love a romantic movie, uh, whether it's classic. I mean, I'm 44, so I was, you know, the 90s were a big time mm -hmm. for a lot of money spent on this kind of movie. And then it kind of went away in, in some ways. So um, maybe rearing back. So so anyway, it's it's a it's a thing I love to think about, like who can get it done right? What actually is romantic and which of these movies actually work? Right. And one of the things that I love about these movies, and you and I agree on them, is that sometimes the ones that work the best are not the best movies. And sometimes the ones that are most enjoyable are the silliest or most far-fetched. And you and I have talked quite a bit about The Lake House. To me, that's the uh, I hold that well, up as the, uh, as the nay plus ultra of the movie that makes no goddamn sense. I mean, The Lake House is like – there is something incredibly quarantine-y about The Lake House, yes, right? We're like, we're all in The Lake House. We're going to send our letter to somebody that might get it later. But knowing that you could appreciate – the weirdness of that movie, the romance of that movie, the fact that it doesn't have to make sense to matter, and that the, the stars of that movie kind of make that movie in certain ways. Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. If yes, you who are movie. who are movie stars, and you want to see them do things together, and you saw them on a bus, and you saw them, at, you know, and like they where, pair well together. I've always uh, said that they're they're like the black labs of movie stars. Yes, you which know, is, they, they just 
match up really nicely. Really nicely. So once you know that somebody's not going to judge you, and you you are a critic who is also incredible at allowing people to like things that are fun to like. So it, yeah, some of the things that should really work on paper and are really well scripted and make a ton of sense, like Don't Stay With Me mm-hmm. and other movies I think about all the time. And I think there are so many subgenres of romantic movies and rom-coms that and certain things that I can't decide whether they are a rom-com, you know, like to me, they're a rom-com to somebody else. They're an action movie. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> is there a, is there a rom-com Christmas movie? Yes, of course there's a rom-com. Oh, there's, there there's are a many ton. Of them. Yeah. There's a ton, but like, I think about Mr. and Mrs. Smith with, with Angelina Jolie and Johnny Brad Depp. Pitt. And uh, yeah. And it's, it's, we, I think of it as a romantic movie, whereas I'm sure other people think of it as like a spy thing right. where, but, but I, that's not why I'm there. Well, we are going to talk about one movie today. And we, we, the plan here is to maybe have four of these where we talk about different kinds of rom-coms. And the first one is coming to you on Valentine's Day because that's appropriate. Yes. Um, Some of them will be old. Some of them will be new. Some of them will be borrowed. Some of them will be blue. Um, And the one that we were – well, first of all, I want to ask – what to you is like the the ideal rom-com? What's either your favorite or just the ideal uh, representation of the form, the platonic ideal of the rom-com? You know, you got to go with – Listen, it doesn't mean I always love this movie, but When Harry Met Sally is is a romantic movie that makes me laugh. That's New York and beautiful coats. There have to be beautiful coats and outerwear, even if it's just like a fall coat like she wears, you know, and and yet I also think it's a dangerous movie in some ways because I still get as an advice columnist letters about men and women not being able to be friends, which I think is I'm like, where did people get this weird notion? And I'm like, oh, thanks a lot, movie I love. But I think a lot about that film and about romanticizing the journey that should it have to take that long to realize you like someone? <laughs> Why did you think about it? It's not the most there is something about it that is not romantic, but these are two wonderful movie stars who make me fall in love with them and make me root for them. So that's one. Um, but again, the calm, the calm part is the tough part, right? Because there are a lot of movies I adore, even The Lake House being one of them, where I'm not It's sure it's funny, right? No, no, and no. so so those are just romantic I mean, part films. of me laughs at it. Oh, right. I yes, enjoy laughing at it. We are not laughing with it. Right. We are laughing at it. And so... And I love those too, but, you know, I, I think that that's probably... What, what about you? Is that... Oh, uh, because I was weaned on classic films, I tend to like look a little further back. Yeah. And you know, I mean of course I love when I, when Harry met Sally. And um but the one that I want to talk about later, not today, is uh, I Know Where I'm Going, which is a movie from 1945. It's black and white. Don't be scared of people. And it's from England. And it really has so much of the DNA of what we now look at as, you know, classic romantic Romance movies, yeah. Headstrong heroine uh, meets the guy that is on is supposed to marry somebody, but meets somebody else. And I'm going to save that discussion for when we actually talk about it. But okay. I come back to that movie a lot, and I show it to people, and they're always completely taken with it. Um, have you seen it? No, and this will be this will be a good education for me. For for you know, there are some classic rom coms I love, but. But there are a lot of gaps in my rom-com right. education. And I think a lot I, – I should also say that I'm an avid reader of romance novels. Mm-hmm. So it also is very interesting to me to think about these films in terms of tropes and what are the tropes I gravitate toward. And, and we will talk about one of those tropes today. But enemies to lovers and friends to lovers mm-hmm. is – which I think when Harry Met Sally has – they allow for all of it. But, like, I do think we're all – 
most likely to land in one area of a trope, right? Like there are certain tropes that other people love that I don't get that into. Mm-hmm. So I even in the classics, I feel like we'll be able to see those patterns of, you know, what what is most like a book in this way and not and mm-hmm. and different different ways to make people fall in love. Well, we're going to be talking not just about a movie. We're going to be talking about sort of a small sub 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 genre of romance movies, which is the J-Lo movie. Yes. The Jennifer Lopez movie. Uh, now, she has a new one out uh, today as we are recording this. Uh, it's in theaters and on the Peacock streaming network called Marry Me. Which, by the way, the song, even from the trailers, is like, it, it's like earworm. Like, I'm already, last night I was going to sleep and I was like, marry me, marry me. <laughs> it's marry doing me. its job. It's doing its job completely with, with that, so. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, but we, the one way we agreed that we were going to talk about first is an older Jennifer Lopez romance rom-com. Yes, it is a comedy. Yes. And that is Made in Manhattan from 2002. That was actually one of the first reviews I wrote for the, the Globe when I came to is the Globe really? in, in 2002. Huh. And I, I think some some people out in, you know, the fustier corners of Cambridge were a little dismayed that I, I gave this confection three stars. And I really enjoyed it. At the same time, it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, in fact, quite ridiculous. And we're going to talk about why those things work so well. Let me just sort of get into the plot here. And you, yeah. you can actually talk about the trope that it represents. Yeah. What trope does it represent? Well, to me, like there is a, a great romance novel trope of um, someone being plucked from nowhere into a, a whether it's a wealthier life, a higher profile life, a um, my favorite, one of my favorite kinds of books is when I'm reading a historical novel and the Duke suddenly notices the shop girl, but doesn't know she's a shop girl and she's trying to, so there is a, a I have been brought into a universe. I mean, there's some aspirational wealth stuff that goes with that of just like, what if, what if I was picked out of nowhere mm-hmm. and brought into something very fancy. Right. And it's a consumer fantasy as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like, you know, so yeah, that the, these are the story that like to me these stories about, you know, I've noticed you, you commoner. Yes. And I will take you with me. It's a it's a pretty fun idea. Yeah. Um it's it's it is a version of the Cinderella story. Yes. And sometimes you can take it and springboard in a totally different direction. I'm thinking of Rebecca, which starts out as, uh, you know, I've noticed you, and now I'm going to take you back to my nightmare of, a, uh, of an existence. But you go to Rebecca, and I'm like, this is what Fifty Shades of Grey fails to do, right? Like, right. It, it, it attempts to be this aspirational thing of of this rich guy is giving me all this stuff, and you're like, oh, this, but this isn't my much fun. <laughs> well, Made in Manhattan is fun if you if you can roll with it. It, it. To me, it parboils the elements of this trope down to really almost you know, almost generic, uh, you know. But it, but it's still in a way that's enjoyable. In part because um, Lopez is absolutely charismatic in the lead. I will watch her. She's doing a commercial right now for like like a kind of water or something. And I had a thought the other day a where I was like, water? it's like a energy water or something. The, the fact that I don't know what she's advertising is amazing because I've seen this ad many times. Like, I don't even know what on, but I'm like, I will watch her in this commercial. I will. She is incredibly watchable to me. And I'm sure for some people, she's the person they can't watch, but I will watch her. I just find her, even when she is too much her, I'm still like, she's like a magnet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's true with the, with the new film as well. I mean, regardless of whether what you think of her as an actor, and actually, I think she's a very good actor. I do too. Uh, you know, she works in these in these uh, these kind of um, confections. Uh, the other thing that should be pointed out about Made in Manhattan, and we'll get into the plot in a second, is directed by a really good director that you would not expect to be directing a movie like this, and that's Wayne Wang. 
he first came around with a little wonderful little art house film called Chan is Missing way back in the um, in the 80s. And um, he's kind of done a journeyman's career, but he's always brings in a, a certain class and sort of independent energy to these movies. He did back in the 90s, he did a, a pair of movies called Blue in the Face and Smoke based on a Paul Oster's uh, work. He did Because of Winn-Dixie. He did The Last Holiday. Mm. Oh, The Last Holiday. I yeah. lost my mind. Yeah. <laughs> he's And he's not the kind of person you wouldn't necessarily expect to be on this. The other thing is that as all good romantic comedies and all good comedies should do is they surround the leads with really good character actors. And if, when you think that this movie was made in 2002 and look who's in it besides the leads, and we'll get to that in a second, Natasha Richardson, mm-hmm. um, who's no longer with us, but um, Stanley Tucci, back when he sort of had hair uh, and, and, and very much in a sort of snarky character part mm-hmm. that is kind of below where we think of him now, but he's yeah. very amusing. Amy Sedaris is in this for like one yep. scene. Yep. And Bob Hoskins. Yeah. I mean, it's a really polyglot crew, but they work very, very well together. So the movie's set in a is it a fictional Manhattan hotel, the Bears, the Beresford Hotel. I believe so. Yeah. I've I never, should have checked yeah. that out beforehand. Yeah. And Jennifer Lopez's character, uh, Marissa Ventura, is a maid, but she's an ambitious maid. She's a uh, together, you know, very organized maid. Uh, her fellow maids are urging her to apply for a managerial position. You know, which is being put forth by the the snooty hotel manager who's played by Chris Eigeman, who if you ever saw Metropolitan, that Wood mm-hmm. Stillman movie, he's been ported over from there. She's a single mom with a uh, – and, of course, this is de rigueur for the genre a, – a cute movie kid. Uh, a, a, a eccentric, cute movie kid who's played by Tyler Posey. I don't know what he went on to do. A bunch of stuff. Did he? I believe he became a teen wolf. Yes, yes. Uh, that is there in his Some, some of us – you know, when we hit puberty, we become a Teen Wolf. It, it it happens to certain actors, and he did become a Teen Wolf. Okay. And there's <laughs> apparently a new one that he's involved with. A new Teen Wolf. I'm just looking at IMDb. He's, yeah, like he, he um, it became, a, I think it was an MTV show. Uh, but yes, he, he, like many, became a Teen Wolf. It's, you know, happens to the best of us. So, yeah. Well, he's a 10-year-old who's, you know, how quirky is he? He's into, he's like a, into 1970s history in Watergate, and he does a school report on Richard Nixon. Because that makes perfect sense. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And in this hotel, and I still don't, it's not clear why he's staying there since he lives in New York, is a political candidate uh, running for assemblyman, Christopher Marshall, played by... Now, who, who do you usually bring into these kind of movies? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of who the who the obvious casting would have been right. in a world where it was more obvious casting. It's right. a really I good. Mean, would it, would it have been McConaughey's time? It would have, although I don't. It would have. Like I'm thinking of some of these other people would have even been too old then. Like I'm Paul like Rudd? too baby faced. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know who we get? We get Ray Fiennes doing a sort of odd little American accent, mm-hmm. but that's reasonable. Convincing, but what is Ray Fiennes doing in a Jennifer Lopez romantic comedy? I mean, I I don't I don't know, but I'm just so thrilled about it. Like in some ways, I'm like the day that he was like, yeah, this is the one. The director might have something to do with it, but I also think it strikes me as a guy who's like, let me try, let me try some, let me try this. Well, I'm looking at his at his filmography at this point in time. And I'm trying to figure out is you know was there an agent saying, hey, Rafe, baby. Rafe. Like, let's try this? Yeah, let's try this. You want you want to do this. Um, you want to raise your profile in Hollywood. And he had, the same year he made this uh, Spider, which is this really creepy, interesting movie by David Cronenberg. Um, oh, that's basically okay. almost a one-man show. He plays a schizophrenic. 
he was in the Red Dragon. Mm. So I, I think there was probably some discussions going on with his agents. We're, we're going to try and get you into some high-profile movies, and that, of course, would lead to greater, you know, options, you know, that's uh, for an actor. Yes, but not. I would not. I do think this stands out in his career as the. Would you agree that one of these things doesn't belong? Yes. And, I mean, I, it doesn't. It's not as though he became this kind of leading man who who did this again in in certain ways. Like, I mean, this is really... Three years later, he was Voldemort. I was just going to yeah. say, like, he literally became, like, he who shall not be named. Like, that's <laughs> a weird place to go from, like, J-Lo to... Right. And I got to say, I was, first of all, his character, Christopher Marshall, is the worst politician on the face of the earth. He's got a dog, and all he wants to do is walk the dog. And then he, um, through a pretty torturous... Uh, uh, chain of coincidences, he meets Marisa, Jennifer Lopez's character, but she's not dressed as a maid. She has tried on a rich guest's Dolce & Gabbana at the urging of one of her fellow, her, her wise-cracking best friend in the Thelma Ritter role, as played by uh, Marissa Matrone. And so he thinks that she and, she, and Marissa passes herself off as that guest, Caroline, who's actually played by Natasha Richardson. So he thinks that she's a guest. And so much of this movie is predicated on her upholding this uh, illusion. There's like lie. a Mrs. Doubtfire situation right. going on of like, I got to quickly get in my... And honestly, that's the, like the, the, the part of the movie that doesn't even need to be there. It it doesn't, because when you think about this trope, and I think of Notting Hill, because, you know, sort of this idea of, of being taken from obscurity, one of the, the beautiful things about it is the the sort of fancier person knowing the other person isn't fancy and seeing them for who they are. But with this, there's this dance. Of course, it's it gives her a chance to do physical comedy and wear some stuff and, and wear some different stuff. Right. Which I got to say, like, I'm not a fashion person, but I like to see her in clothes. I mean, so much of enjoying Hustlers for me was watching her wear different things. Yeah. Yeah. So, sure, I'll so take that's, it. That's, yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought of that. That's basically the reason for this part of the plot. And so yeah. that she can give her a, I'm and, sure there's somebody out there who knows exactly, you know, the Devil Wears Prada fan who knows exactly what she's wearing. Right. And I'm not that fan, but I'll still watch it. Right. Well, there's a lot. And there's a lot of, I mean, Dolce & Gabbana gets a big, big uh, product placement yeah. in, the, in, the, in this movie. So he sees her and he's smitten with her. And meanwhile, Stanley Tucci, as his campaign manager, is running around trying to get him to do actual campaigning. Yeah. And, you God know, I, I come to feel very sympathetic for, for Stanley because this, this guy just doesn't want to do any campaigning, he would rather walk in the park with with um, Jennifer Lopez well, and her son. And that's like, this is the pretty woman moment, right? Of right. like, but sir, you're supposed to buy and break up companies. But no, I just want to sit on this patch of, <laughs> it's like Richard Gere sort oh, of like. and he's yeah. a Republican. They, she, the kid asks, are you a Democrat or a Republican? He says, I'm a Republican. And that just kind of set my head in a spin. Well, I am re-watching, not even re-watching, I'm watching Scandal for the first time, which, you know, is a Shonda Rhimes show mm -hmm. from... You know, the what, 2011. And I, when I started watching it, I was like, these people are Republicans? <laughs> like, imagine a world where, and, and you, it's very fascinating to me what, like, what these characters would be now. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the series, we're closer to the end of the Obama administration. So they start behaving like Democrats. It's really, but I, I, it is of the time that this, oh, like, this is very much a late 90s, early 2000 movie. For one thing, uh, you know, this cracked me up to see Bionicles in it. Uh, the kid plays with bionicles and is like, you know, okay, I know exactly when this movie came Right, out. yeah, yeah. When was Michael Bloomberg mayor of New York? 2002. So that's okay. why he's a Republican. Yeah, I mean, it was, why wouldn't he be? Any, right. any kind of 
is, right? Yeah. Like the character just is, but but it I don't know what it would be like now. Right. And he, well, they wouldn't say that. He would be He would just be political. Yes. <laughs> He'd be like both sides, I'm fine. Well, it's well, fine. <laughs> but this is there's nothing political in this movie. I no. Mean, I no. Mean, and he's the least political politician. And, and you know, I don't want to give the end away, but I find it hard to believe that he'd get elected to anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, yeah. Well, the Cinderella story. And of course, there's a whole paparazzi scandal sheet, uh, New York Post angle to uh, the story because he's always being chased around by paparazzi. And apparently he's, um, you know, a serial dater with all these high profile, um, con- you know, uh, uh, relationships in the past. Yeah. And again, his character is so blurry. One of the things I love about Ray Fiennes is that he's very distinct on screen and each character is very distinct. He, you know, he's he's a classically trained actor and he changes from role to role and really inhabits those roles. He does. He's very, like, I'm, yes, he's Voldemort yeah. among other things. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. And he's very vague as a as a presence. He's very, in, in this movie, in Made Manhattan, he's blurry. Even his accent is kind of blurry. And it doesn't really hurt the movie that much because, as I've said to you before, to a very large degree, the men in romantic comedies are interchangeable. I, I mean, I, I think with that— With exception. With exception. So, like, if you are a rom-com fan or a fan of a certain actor in general, yes, like that person, if there's— You know, when I was a teenager and I loved Christian Slater, I sat through Bed of Roses <laughs> with Mary Stuart Masterson, maybe— yep. And I was like, I don't know about this, but him, him, right? right? Like this is, but other than that, yeah, you're right. I think it's, um, it's so much like, that's the wonderful thing about these movies is, you know, if this is a rom-com that is a straight rom-com for women to watch is like, oh, like this is, it's about me, right? <laughs> it's about, it's, it's not about, um, and there are certain actors that are better at it. Yes. Uh, I think and understand what to do. Such as who? I mean, I do think Paul Rudd does a good, um, I think Paul Rudd is Paul Rudd mm. in a lot of these movies in a way that like, you know, if you like a nice guy and and I think Keanu Reeves is incredible. I think he, he is really fantastic. Um, I'm trying to think of who is the, there are people who've written about the idea of looking, you know, a man who can look at someone. Mm. James Marsden is on my list because he can kind of elevate some things that sometimes aren't. And I'm always happy to see him. John Cusack? Because we talked about about serendipity and we'll probably be talking about it later. Although I do feel like John Cusack movies, he often becomes the guy, like he, he is much more noticeably... I think of, you know, High Fidelity as a rom-com, it, he is in the sort of protagonist, like he's often the protagonist in his own rom-coms um, and the woman is not, right? I could, you know, you could say, say that I'd anything say anything. And he's him. not, right. He is, she She is the politician who is choosing him, right? So yes, he's an incredible rom-com star where I think he is the vehicle for a woman watching either way. You know, it's like he's everyone's vessel at that point, which I think is its own unique power. What would Made in Manhattan be like if there was a – I mean, Ray Fiennes is a great actor, but he is kind of on idle in this movie in a way that you're willing to overlook. But what would this movie be like if there was and, – and that, you know, actually might be exactly what Jennifer Lopez wanted. Yeah. You know, uh, a stronger presence might throw the balance of the story off. I mean, I think there's also the kind of rom-com actor who is just hot. Like and I and I when I say that when I say that I'm talking about a, a Kevin Costner of a certain era, mm. um, in certain movies and I know he didn't do that like where 
someone is just, you know, like I'm sure Channing Tatum can do this, right? Where we know it, and again, he's like the vow is not a com. It's just a rom, right? And things like that. But that's another kind. But it's Alana Bennett is the writer I'm thinking about who talks about actors who can give a look. Mm -hmm. And she talks about this with Joshua Jackson and certain actors who can look at a woman and you're like, oh, wow. Like, I am, like, this person is seeing that person, mm-hmm. seeing this woman. And that is that is what I think a Keanu Reeves can do that many people can't. And actually, you know what? That's what Rafe Fiennes' character does in this movie. Oh, he's it's, just— I mean, as blurry as the character is, all he's doing is looking at her and appreciating her. That's, that is his one character motivation. And, and that is all I need him to do, right? right? I need her to be seen. And that is—if that is— what his character is, someone who sees her and separates her from others, like that, then he's done his part. Right. And, and, the, and, and the dilemma of the script is, that, is he seeing her as that rich person? And when he sees her as the, who she is, will he still see her? And of course, you know, it being the movie it is. Of course. Of course. Right, right, right. And I think, you know, Matthew McConaughey has moments of, of seeing actresses. And I think if, if I am, have an unpopular opinion, it's that, in some of those, like, uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and some of those, like, you know, the sort of Kate Hudson or or even um, Something Borrowed, all the, well, uh, that era of films. Like, I, sometimes he gets it right, sometimes not, and sometimes the entire movie rests on, like, like in, a, in a 13 going on 30, right? Like, where Mark Ruffalo can give a look also. Yes. There's a lot of people who can do it right, but also that movie didn't need him. It could have had anybody. Maybe. I don't know. No, sorry. But, but it, you know, you can be great at it, but you're right. They are interchangeable. Sorry. Sorry, men in these movies. Yeah. But Ray Fiennes, is, is, he does do the one thing he needs to do, which is make me believe that he sees her the way that I see her. Because, of course, like, she is so aspirational and she's not a rom-com character who you feel bad for. She is not a Bridget Jones. She is not the kind of person where you're like, oh, she gets it because we're both clumsy. She gets it because, you know, no matter what she's wearing and what job she's doing, she's still what I want to be. Right, right, right. Uh, And that's not discounting that, you know, the the big class angle in this movie, which is, you know, very much broadly played, you know, according to Hollywood standards, but also taps into, uh, you know, Jenny from the block, you know, the, yes. the, the, she's a hometown girl. But still aspirational in the sense right. that like, here's well, this person who, so. who gets it and, but she, and is like of the people and also might become a manager and also is a great single parent. And also is, you know, it's like, she's just like, she's, you know, dreamy in all, in all ways. Um, I'm just thinking that there are there are rom com men that that if you take them out of the movie, it becomes a lesser movie. I'm thinking Richard Gere and Pretty Women. Oh yeah. And I'm um, thinking. Oh, was, what's it? I was just thinking. I can't even imagine that movie. I can't like yeah. that. My brain breaks thinking you about know, anybody else in that Hugh movie. Hugh Grant and Notting Hill. Hugh Grant and Notting Hill. Hugh Grant is a great. Hugh Grant is a great rom com. I mean, I he is a really. I've watched a lot of Hugh Grant rom-coms. Was, oh, Two Weeks Notice, where yeah. I'm like, if that's on TV, I will just sit there. But, you know, in terms of the Ray Fiennes thing, I wish that some actors who probably are scared to do this kind of movie would try it, because I think it's not easy. And I think it's, like, to be able to walk that line of not getting in the way right. is it, for this kind of film is probably The way of difficult. the lead actress or the way of the plot or the way of the vibe? The everything, and I think particularly the actress, because if I'm going to see a John Cusack movie, I'm sort of ready for him to be important. Mm. Um, but in some of these movies, 
no matter how big the 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 male star, I still don't want it to become a narrative that I'm alienated by. Other things about this movie. This is such a 2002 movie. You know what else places this in this time? Nora Jones all over the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. you're right. You're right. I think, you know, that it is a... And, you know, Marry Me is obviously just coming out, but, like, soundtrack is a huge part of it. Absolutely. And it's, like, plays into, you know, she plays someone who makes music. So all of this film is designed to make me want to download things and And, and I gotta say, Marry and, Me makes Made in Manhattan look like a documentary. That that absolutely leaves reality so far behind. You should, I'm actually holding my skull right now. So I, I have not watched all of it. I've watched some of it. It is... Um, you know, there's a weird thing about J-Lo, though, where, like, she knows I, – I remember being at, in the theater to see The Boy Next Door, mm-hmm. which is a movie, by the way, where a character gives Jennifer Lopez's teacher character a first edition copy of The Odyssey, I believe. It's either The Odyssey or The Iliad. It is – and by the way, I saw this movie with librarians, mm-hmm. and it might have been the best night of my life. Like, he hands her a book that he, like – it looks like he bought it at Borders in whatever year that movie came out and is like, it's a first edition. It might be the Iliad. A- anyway, and you're like, wait, what? What? And like, that's a movie where, you know, we might say we're laughing at the lake house and not with it. I'm laughing at the boy next door, but I think she is too, mm-hmm. a little bit. And mm-hmm. so she's in, I, I felt, even with what I saw of Marry Me, that she understands exactly what she's doing. Oh, making. absolutely. I'm not sure that Owen Wilson understands exactly what he's doing I, there. I, no, I mean, I think he's sort of like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, he's like, you know, like, but it is, it, it is interesting to pair it with Made in Manhattan as a... Well, it reverses. It reverses the right. situation very quickly. She's a world-famous pop star who's um, about to marry another world-famous pop pop star in concert. Um, and then she sees him kissing her assistant backstage and decides to randomly marry somebody in the crowd at the concert. Because right, that's what one does. Because that's what one does. And it happens to be Owen Wilson's character who's there with his daughter. He's a single dad. And his gay friend, Sarah Silverman. Is she gay? I think she said something about a woman. I, I was a oh, little I confused, but yeah. she said something in the very beginning about, you know, my ex-girlfriend or something. I, th- okay. I think she's gay. But she, she, she invites them to this co- show and yeah, another talk about a a cast that you're like, oh, this person's in that too, right. where I was like, oh, okay, this has that too. But yeah, it is much more Notting Hill of like the, the woman coming to the table with power and fame and, and, and saying, can he fit in her world? Right. And, and like, will she see him for, but, but she, I think also right now, what a moment for this to happen, because I think she is Jennifer Lopez in this movie and we are all watching her in real time have a romance that is whatever you think about it it's entirely watchable mm-hmm. you know and and um you know dealing with issues of fame and i have been sort of you know listen these are not people i know despite being from boston i don't hang out with ben affleck every weekend you know i know a lot of people think we bostonians all just but but it is a really interesting public love story. Yes, it is. And I think what a time for this movie to come out, you know, (laughs) which I'm sure, listen, not to be cynical, but like, I'm sure people have thought about this and it's, it's just, it's, it's an interesting thing for her to sort of poke at this at, at the moment where we're all watching it. Well, he's not exactly a commoner. No, 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 no. But no, but also like, you know, I was thinking in the early parts of the movie about having someone having a very visible romance that doesn't work, which is like sort of what happened the first time around, right? Where like she had to watch everyone watch that fall apart and, and, and watch that movie and watch that 
movie. Gigi. I mean, I think I like didn't watch it probably in the way you had to. Because I, that I was paid to. At least you were paid to. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> a lot of people had to pay to. I actually see it. gave that movie zero stars, and in retrospect, that was unwarranted. It's it's a, it's a one star movie. I mean, can we call their movie? Wasn't she also in Jersey Girl? Yes. So, like, let's call that their movie yes. just for their own legacy. But I, you know, like that I. It's just she's so many things, and I, I, you know, when I think about her, I'm I often think of Out of Sight, and of which I think is a rom com in its own. Oh, absolutely. Okay, all right, yeah. good. And I think it's like one of the sexiest movies in my favorite movie list, and it's just she can do so much and so much with so little, mm-hmm. and that is what I was thinking as that movie opened for me on my screen like hmm um but yeah oh and owen wilson okay the wilson one thing i thought about as i started watching marry me was there is a version of this with luke wilson i think about which wilson a lot which they would it's not fair to do to siblings but they they both can look well they bring totally different energies yes yes and one i think i'd rather have a conversation with that movie character Mm -hmm. and the other i would rather have as my romantic lead Mm -hmm. like i am a i i swinged the Luke. <laughs> you swing Luke. I swing Luke okay. because I just, you know, I'm like, you know, yeah, I just do. I think there's a, a sadness and a softness to his face. and a, But not to Owens. Owens strikes me as a very sad persona. Absolutely sad, but also still talking about it. Yeah. And I think I will never undo from my head, you know, not to bring up you know who, but seeing Midnight in Paris and having any er- character who is taken on Woody Allen as a, as himself. Mm. It's like in, and, and Luke will, and you can't get oh, that out of your head. Well, Owen Wilson actually, you know, every, everybody who's done it has actually done it quite well. Cause I think it's pretty easy to mimic, but like Owen Wilson, it didn't feel that far off. And I, and I love wedding crashers. I love him in those movies, but I think that there is a, it, the sadness is different. It's interesting that they both have a sadness, but I think the Royal Tenenbaums piece of Luke Wilson mm. as like the kind of sadness of, I might lie down on the floor versus I'm going to talk it out right. 17 times. Like that's the difference of sadness. Uh, okay. You know what I mean? Of like, I'm going to, I'm going to try to like frantically make this better versus um, the other seemingly like. Well, I also think if, if Luke Wilson had been in Marry Me, he'd be, he'd be a much stronger character. Mm, that's um, an and, interesting. And, and Owen Wilson's character is very sweet. Yes. But very recessive. Yeah. And, and there's like a jokiness to it that uh, this is like a sibling nightmare. Like let's race them. But yeah, like I, I think a lot about that. Like, I, I wish I saw Luke Wilson in more things right now. Mm. Listen, if you're listening to this and you're like, we're just talking about two J-Lo rom-coms or seven or however many we've talked about, like, she's good. She is good. This is what she does very, very well. Yes. And I and I think a lot now about are we in a world because of our moods and the fact that we want more uplifting things and because people went to see Crazy Rich Asians and that made some money where we're going to get blockbuster rom-coms again, I hope that like we can look back to movies like Made in Manhattan and, and remember what they're like. Well, I think it's very telling that this is opening in both theaters and on a streaming platform. Yeah. Um, and I actually think, not to go into industry talk here, but to go into industry talk, talk here, I think the rise of the uh, corporate-owned streaming platforms, you, you are, we are already seeing certain genres 
be revived, that maybe we're being chased out of movie theaters by intellectual property uh, franchises. But we're, you know, starting to see more comedies, more teen, you know, romances, more rom-coms. And I'll take them. And I think, in, I mean, listen, I still want my Marvel. You may not want your Marvel. I don't know. But I, I'll take my Marvel. Um, I, will, Marvel. I will be, while everyone is watching the Super Bowl, I will be in a theater seeing Spider-Man because I think that's the safest time to see <laughs> Spider-Man. But... I just, I am celebrating the fact that people are acknowledging that, God forbid, we felt good, right. you know? And I think that some of these, and and spent really some money on a film. Yeah, and that's, you know, and this is one of the reasons that, you know, me as a pointy-headed film critic who should be liking Ukrainian tractor-pulling documentaries, and I do when they're done well, have just an absolute sweet tooth for rom-coms, sometimes especially when they are chowder-headed. Yeah. Because they take you into this world that just feels silly and good um, and then release you back into the wild. We're going to be talking uh, later about other – we're going to be talking about magical rom-coms mm. where something happens that couldn't happen in real life but obviously brings uh, – What? Are we, which movie are we going to talk about? Are we? Oh, Time Traveler's Wife? Yes. Time Traveler's and, Wife. And there's so many – I. I love a, I love a magic. I love a time travel. I love a we're stuck in a vortex. I you know the day is repeating. I mean, Ty knows I love repeating day movies, and I think it's. Why don't fantastic. we just do the same talk every day? Edge of tomorrow. Edge of tomorrow. Edge of tomorrow. <laughs> rinse yeah. and repeat. Rinse and yeah. repeat. Uh, and we're going to be talking about a classic. Uh, I know where I'm going. Uh, and uh, one other, we haven't decided on the fourth. No, and there are plenty to choose yeah. from. Yeah, and we might just keep going. We'll see how this goes. Yeah, uh, if you like this. Let us know. Yeah. Drop me a line at tiberswatchlist uh, at gmail.com or in the comment sections of tiberswatchlist.substack.com. This has been me, Tiber, and Meredith Goldstein, advice columnist for the Boston Globe and incredible writer and wonderful human being. Despite loving Twilight more than any other, it, talk about Rama, not com. Tight. Yes. All of the, yeah. I, I, I'll just say that you're going to have to change it now. But you told me what your Wi-Fi password is, and uh, it is just, related to Twilight. That yeah. is all. All of my passwords are related to Twilight. So it, listen, we all like what we like. We like what we like. Yeah, supernatural. So anyway, thank you for having me, and and everybody enjoy. Marry me, marry me. We're not, I'm not even being paid for that. <laughs> Why my product placement? Thank you for listening. Thank you. That's all for today. This has been Tiber's Watchcast an audio companion to the Substack movie newsletter, Tiber's Watchlist. If you'd like more pop culture commentary and a guide to good movies in theaters and on demand, please feel free to check out my newsletter at tiberswatchlist.substack.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Hold up. 